China's parliamentary two sessions start this week, so what can we expect to be on the agenda and what should companies be paying special attention to? This week, we got our update from our Vice President for China Operations, Matt Margulies, from the U.S. China Business Council in Washington, D.C. I'm Ian Hutchinson, and this is the China Business Minute. Matt Margulies is our Vice President for China Operations based in Beijing. Welcome back, Matt. Thanks, Ian. Great to be back here. All right. So China's two sessions start this week. So I know we're expecting a number of important announcements, including uh, the release of China's next five-year plan and the government's annual work report. So can you give us an update on you know what the two sessions are and why we should be paying attention? China's two sessions is an annual gathering of China's top politicians, legislators, and political advisors. The two sessions is a gathering of those individuals through, as the name really suggests, in two meetings. Um, one is the Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference, or the CPPCC for short, and the National People's Congress, or the NPC. The meetings are important because, like you noted, they are a window into the central government's priorities and plans for the coming year. And importantly, this year, the announcement of the next five-year plan, setting socioeconomic goals for 2021 through 2025. In total, the two meetings bring together roughly 5,000 people uh, from political and government spheres from across China. All right, so we have the two bodies meeting separately, but at basically the same time in Beijing. So what's the difference between these two meetings? That's right. The first of the two meetings is the CPPCC meeting, which will get underway on March 4th. It brings together different elements of Chinese society to discuss a range of issues and to raise proposals for topics that China's legislature should deliberate on. To be clear, the CPPCC is an advisory body, and they don't authorize or execute or create legislation. That's why they're the consultative conference. Their role is to raise proposals from a cross-section of Chinese society for topics that theoretically should be representative of the Chinese public's interests and concerns, so topics like the environment, economic issues, and health care. The CPPCC's 2,000-plus members include top Communist Party officials, but also even celebrities, leading business figures like the CEO of Baidu, leading academics, and even famous athletes like Yao Ming. The second meeting is the annual gathering of China's parliament, the National People's Congress, which starts its meeting on the 5th and is expected to last about 10 days. The NPC meeting is made up of 3,000 government officials, largely from provinces and cities across China. Uh, This meeting is where the legislature votes on key pieces of legislation for the year. And you may recall last year's postponed meeting, which did occur in May, is where the mainland's national security law for Hong Kong was voted on and adopted. All right, that's a helpful distinction. So uh, beyond the 14th five-year plan, is there any other legislation or proposals that we should be keeping an eye out for? Beyond the 14th five-year plan, other things to keep an eye out for are China's economic development targets. We all know that China abandoned its economic growth target for 2020 amidst the disruptions created by COVID here in China and globally. For 2021, however, China's economy appears to have rebounded fairly well. Uh, Ultimately, we may not see a national GDP growth target, or we might see a range here, but many of China's provinces have actually already declared individual growth targets, some more moderate, around the 6% range, and some more aggressive, I think around roughly the 10% growth, growth range. And so we may not have a national growth target this year, but perhaps through provincial growth targets, we can kind of backdoor estimate where China sees itself going in 2021, and then try and understand or surmise the fiscal tools it will utilize to try and achieve those numbers. Lastly, two major themes we've heard from Chinese leaders throughout 2020 were dual circulation and technology self-sufficiency. 
Dual circulation hasn't really been clearly defined by the Chinese yet, but we assume it means a greater focus on consumption in China as opposed to exports and infrastructure spending. Self-sufficiency goals, I think, are pretty self-explanatory. But to achieve significant consumption growth likely requires a significant shift in wealth away from the state sector in China and more towards individuals. And so that would likely spur more imports, which would be a good thing for China and the U.S., right? That would likely introduce some reforms that um, USCBC members would really welcome. But at the same time, self-sufficiency goals would seem to potentially undermine that objective somewhat, right? If you're trying to be self-sufficient, what kind of impact does that have on products, on on imports? Um, So hopefully we'll get more clarity on these two initiatives at, uh, at the upcoming two sessions. All right, final question. Many of us have been watching and waiting to kind of see what U.S.-China relations are going to look like under a Biden administration. Do you think we're going to get any hints on that topic from the Chinese side at these two sessions? Well, the two sessions generally focus on China's domestic socioeconomic issues, and more political topics are reserved for China's party plenums. However, we all know by now that given China's sheer size and um, and the scale of investments that foreign companies have here, China's economic development plans really do have direct and indirect impacts on other countries, whether whether they like it or not, right? Um, so I don't think we'll see a new course charted for China's foreign policy, per se. But China's economic policy, especially those focused on tech, like self-sufficiency, inevitably would impact bilateral relations. One other area, climate change and the environment, is a potential bright spot for a positive U.S.-China agenda this year. I do expect to see pretty significant focus on China's carbon neutrality ambitions at the two sessions. And so hopefully um, that is one one area we'll get a little bit more clarity on um, China's contributions to building out a U.S.-China agenda this year. And to leave us on a bright note, I understand that U.S. climate czar John Kerry has already had discussions with his newly reappointed counterpart in the Chinese system, the Chinese climate czar. Um, His name is Xie Zhenhua, uh, which to me is a positive sign. Uh, Also, the U.S. and China were both recently named co-chairs of the G20 Sustainable Finance Group, Uh, again, hopefully foreshadowing an area of positive collaboration amidst otherwise tense relations. And so maybe on on climate, uh, on energy and environment, that is one way that um, some uh, announcements coming out of the two sessions meetings might be able to shape U.S.-China relations in 2021. All right. Great. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Ian. It was great to be here. Again, Matt Margulies is our Vice President for China Operations. China Business Minute is a production of the U.S. China Business Council, and you can learn more about the work that we do on our website, uschina.org. If you like the show, please leave it a rating, leave a review. It will help other people find it. And as always, thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back next week.